Hi, I'm Simon Talbot. And I'm Wendy Dean. And this is Moral Matters. Jay Baruch is a practicing emergency room physician and professor of emergency medicine at Alpert Medical School at Brown University. And he's the author of two award-winning short fiction collections, What's Left Out and 14 Stories, Doctors, Patients, and Other Strangers. His book, Tornado of Life, A Doctor's Journey Through Constraints and Creativity in the ER, was just released on August 30th of this year. And I had the opportunity to talk to him back in July But unfortunately, Simon couldn't join us, which I'm so sorry about because it was a really great conversation. But it does sound like we may have another conversation with him in the future. So in the meantime, let's have a listen. Jay Baruch, I'm so glad to have you on the podcast. Um, We have been circling each other, I think, for at least the last three, three and a half years. And finally, we get to be in the same sort of place, virtual space for a bit. So welcome. Thank you so much, Wendy. This is, this is absolutely an honor to, to be here with you. I've been looking forward to it. So can you just tell us a little bit about what your day job is? And then I want to get into talking about the book that you're about to release. My day job and my afternoon job and my overnight job <laughs> is as a uh, an ER doc, emergency physician at uh, Brown Emergency Medicine. How long have you been there? I've been at Brown for, um, and this my present academic job for 15 years. I've been an ER doc for close to 30. That is a long time to be in the ER. Yeah, it's like dog years. <laughs> <laughs> right. I know, it feels that way. And certainly that 30-year span is time to collect a lot of stories. Yeah, a lot of experiences. You get pushed into many, uh, I, was, I sort of look at it this way, you get pushed into a lot of emotional spaces. You get tested. Um, you find yourself unexpected stories, both not just with your patients, but stories that you're a part of. Uh, so it's definitely, uh, it's definitely a journey. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about that, because I find it fascinating. As I was reading your book, it is not about, it's not, it is about the patience and what happens, but really it's about the internal journey. So I would love to know kind of how did you get started with the book? What compelled you to write it? Many of these pieces, as in much of my writing, like I'm always writing, you know, in a various, a small fraction of what I write will end up finding the page. And then if it's good enough or if it's interesting enough or if I feel there's something that is worthwhile and might be interest to others, it might be sent out. So it's really a fraction of a fraction. So I'm always sort of writing. And often I'm writing just to try to figure things out for myself, you know, when the act of writing, the craft of writing for me is, is an interesting one, because when you think, I think differently when I write. I hear you. You know, I don't like, I know there are people out there who just, just think deeply, and then they just put their thoughts on the page. And I am so not one of them. Uh, I actually have to be moving the pen or type, and usually the pen. And I try to be more efficient with, with the keys, but oftentimes it doesn't work as well. But I actually think differently when I write. And when you, put, when you try to put language to experiences, you get very granular. And 
you find things, you discover things about yourself that you did not know when you first were just thinking about it in a, in a, in a broader sense. And also you see things in more com complex terms. And you also like, like when you have thoughts, you go, no, I can never do that in the ER. I would never say that. But when you're writing, you can go, God, what if I did say that? Yeah. <laughs> you, know, you can go to those dark, deep places and, and you can see how that feels. And so what happened was I realized that a lot of what distressed me, what was really got my got my juices going that I really felt I could dig into were these really muddy experiences that 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 were small moments that were small moments that were not like the blood and guts and the 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 drama that sort of gets mythologized on and on television though I do that that's really a small part of what I do um, a, a bigger part of it is just taking care of patients and they're oftentimes muddy and complicated stories um, who come to the ER when they don't have a choice or they have no place else to go and um, and 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 then like how do I work through that like how do I work through some of these complex moments and these complex experiences where did I go wrong um, how do I deal with those situations when it feels like there's no answer um, I remember there's this great quote um, from uh, Rebecca Solnit um, in her collection of essays, you know, um, Paradise Built in Hell, where she talks about the idea of, you know, rising to the occasion, you know, yeah. disaster, catastrophe, rising to the occasion. And oftentimes I felt in my work that, like, I didn't know what that meant. <laughs> um, I didn't know what it meant to rise to the occasion. And I had in so many of those moments um, that I decided to write about them. And, uh, and that, and a lot of the book comes out of those moments of that were incredibly distressing to me and my attempts to try to figure them out on the page. Yeah. I love that. Noticing yourself rising to the occasion. Right. And I also think there's this, um, we were talking a little bit before we started recording about the emotions and how you process right. them. And I think we're really good in medical school, and I've written about this before, but we're really good at learning how to shut things down and how to close things off so that we can function. Because mm. if you let your emotions out while you're doing chest compressions, that's not a real recipe for functionality, <laughs> right? And so we have to close them away so that we can do the job we need to do. But then what do we do with them afterwards? Yeah. Um, it's really interesting. Like, what do we do with our emotions? You know, because I think part of the challenge that we all, that we're all facing, especially I think COVID, like COVID's just sort of un unveiled and revealed so many, so many elements and so many challenges of caring for others that have always been there, but we couldn't ignore them anymore, right? The pressures, like if we look at it as, we look at the pandemic and COVID as a dramatic moment, right? That was the moment we put so much pressure on, on healthcare providers of all types, people, you know, from physicians and nurses to techs to, you know, housekeepers and people working, everyone, like all frontline providers, people working in, in, in grocery stores and marketing, like yeah. everyone, like people. And, 
and our communities, you know, and so that was it. Like that was like this incredible pressure. So in a way it was this crucible of, of, of where human behavior was like, we lifted off a rock and we were, and you saw like, and you, we saw people sort of really pushed, really tested. And I think part of the challenge was not necessarily always the fact that we're suppressing or we're, we're trying to hold our emotions tight to us, tight to the, to the vest, but the fact that what we feel is often embarrassing, um, terrifying, <laughs> fearful, scared, vulnerable, all these, all these elements that make us human that are so, these elements that are so critical to us actually to be caregivers, to care for others. But they're also, you know, they're, they're also like those very things that we're not supposed to express or we're looked down upon expressing. And sometimes we're all those things, right? Yeah. And I discovered that often what was most upsetting to certain providers was having trying to have their experiences sort of put into a category like burnout or distress without allowing and recognizing that how I might have gotten there and how Wendy, you or someone else was working, like we all might be in the in a similar area or place of distress, but we're there for different reasons, right? And so yeah. when we don't acknowledge that, and I don't think it comes from a place of laziness, I think it comes from a, this paternal place or maternal place or this parental place where they want to give you answers so they say, listen, call this number, go do yoga, you know, <laughs> you know, go for a run, yeah. go for a walk, whatever, yeah. um, read this book. Or they pit, they pigeonhole you. They say, and they tell you a story about a narrative. Like so and so went through this, and look at them now. They got you know their CEO, or they're they got like a thousand. You know, they run a company, or they they're they started this something. It's some kind of narrative of they went through some distress, they rose to the occasion. Look at them now, but it doesn't honor the story that you have in that moment because right now all you're in. All that I wanted was to try to put words to an experience that's hard to capture. Yeah. That's really hard. And, and all I think people wanted was an authentic moment, an authentic opportunity to put words to an ex a very complicated experience and maybe try to figure it out too. Some help trying to figure out what they're going through and what they're feeling. And they could be feeling a host of different things, which makes for fascinating characters. That's what we are as humans. We're fascinating characters. Um, but for some reason, I don't think that we were given that opportunity in that space. Yeah. So tell me your favorite story from the book. I can't. It changes. <laughs> really? It really it really does. What about today? Uh, you didn't tell me you were going to do this. <laughs> well, you can pause. It's <laughs> you didn't, okay. You didn't, you didn't tell me you were going to do this. <laughs> I, I feel like the one that I feel 
captures something that hasn't been captured before mm. had to do and there's so many that um i got at something i don't know if i succeeded but i really feel like i i got i, I got close to it i got close to that thing whatever it is um one was the idea about sort of my work as sort of an ambassador to nightmares, giving people bad news, you know, yeah. and, um, and, and how we talk about sort of giving bad news, but we don't necessarily think about the fact that at that moment, you know, people are in this room with you and you're with the news and the information you're giving, like you're changing their life forever. Right. And they're going to remember what you say, how you said it, um, you're part of their story, like you've entered their life. But at the same time, like you're also thinking about, God, you know, could I have done something different that could have saved their loved one? You know, like, did I, right. you know, cause you're, you have this doubt, you know, and that people bring their own experiences into that moment too. Like we don't, like there's no one way to give bad news because People take these experiences and take this transition in many, many different ways, depending upon their relationship, unresolved, unresolved conflicts, deep love, um, trust in the healthcare system, um, whether they like this, whether what they think about this big, tall, bald guy sitting before them, i.e. me. <laughs> um, and, uh, and I'm tr trying to give them time, but I'm also trying to, like, I also have other patients to care for. And... And I have a, um, an experience um, um, you know, the different ex the reactions I've had from, from patients and their families, you know, from, you know, pulling me like into the room, like, no, you have to go back. You have to go back. You have to go back to yeah. fearing for my own safety because of the news I have to give them um, to actually, you know, good for them. I knew that was going to happen. <laughs> You know, right? it's like unbelievable. It's like, yeah, 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 yeah. That's like, I was like, I'm not going to shed a tear for uncle so-and-so. Uh -huh. um, you, know, you don't know, right? Yeah. And, and I have a, I have a, a moment, which in the, in that particular essay, which is once ha what happens when you leave that room where we give them the family room, we give them that, you know, that really life-changing, terrible news. And what's, what the light looks like what the light must feel like and and one particular moment you know there was just two nurses laughing in the hallway mm. after we were coming out and and they were just you know laughing just you know coming back from break doing what and but what what that must feel like to someone whose um whose life whose world has been irrevocably altered knocked off its axis right um, and these little moments that we don't necessarily always think about, um, you know, and then I, the, the other story that I think I got close to is, um, moving on, which really centers on a, you know, a, uh, a, a bad trauma where someone dies and a young patient and and how we all just move on after that mm -hmm. and we just go back to our work and the room separates and you know clean the body and call the medical examiner and call the organ bank and people we start writing things up and 
everyone comes in, cleans the room, and and everyone just goes back like yeah. to what they're doing. And the fact that we keep on moving on, and, and this particular moment was in, was doing an overnight shift, and and the next night we we all were working together again, and and I just happened to be mentioning to one of my residents, I go, God, that that really that really lived. I had a tough sleeping, tough time sleeping today, and he says to me, he goes, it's funny you say that because I had a you know, I had a really tough time sleeping too, and one of the nurses who was there the night before, who was working, goes, I did too. You know, and the resident says to me, but that's what we do, right? We move on. And I go, I go but, but, but why do we move on? Yeah. You know, like, why, why do we do that? Do we have to move on? And, um, and, and, and I know there's, we, we can support that with a lot of different reasons, like the, like we're, there's X number of patients in the waiting room and we have other obligations that we have to do and we have to go. And basically everything is an interruption of everything else, especially, you know, when you're working overnights. Um, but to what degree are those excuses that we use to move on um, rather than sort of address what we're all feeling? Like this was really hard like this was really this is a tragedy this was a young person who died yeah um a couple of other younger people whose lives are going to be changed forever i mean i uh, i still have a i still have a night from when i was a surgery resident that comes back to me right when a young patient came in and and died I, I, they do they stay with us mm -hmm. right and yeah and think about it when they how many patients you know, you have cared for right. over your years, right? And how many patients that I have cared for over my thirty years, and and yet there are there are situations that like we can't let go, like they get their grip on us, and and I don't I don't know if we do a great job of interrogating why. You know, I remember this, but why can't? Why do you remember that? You know, and. And we were, and everyone was so, was so knocked off balance yeah. by that particular situation. You know, and I know now we, we are much, much better. Like this happened many, many years ago. I know now we're much better. And actually as a result of when I wrote this piece, you know, we have a moment of silence. We have a pause. Mm -hmm. We recognize, which is just, even that ceremony of just 30 seconds to a minute of just staying, just recognizing Think, thank you, honoring a person who has died. Right. Um, and just being allowed to grieve. I mean, I, like that silence that's in that room at that moment, you can hear a pin drop. Yeah. And like you find yourself, I, I can't tell you how many times that is there are certain situations that once we have that silence, I feel like crying or I look over and I see a nurse or three nurses holding back tears who are rushing around doing everything. And then what happens when we make that space? Like we just made a little bit of space to grieve and to recognize the true weight of what we do. Yeah. Yeah, and to honor ourselves for doing it. And to like all of us to sort of recognize this is yeah. hard work that we're doing and, and, I, and, I, and special work that we're doing. And, and not to forget that we're caring for for people and that this person was a particular person who has just died.
and that your team counts in the triage that you do. Right? Caring for your team needs to count in there as well. Yes, absolutely. Everyone. And it affects everyone. I mean, I had, I've had experiences where, you know, we have techs who were just in tears over something that we've seen. Yeah. And, you know, and, and many, and these are great people. Like I, I am so lucky to work with the people who I work with. I mean, everyone Every single person, regardless of, you know, everyone from the whole team, and I mean from the team, from all of us down, everyone. <laughs> extraordinary people. Yeah. But what makes them extraordinary, what makes them do this work, is also the very reason why they're also sensitive to the weight of what we do. Yeah, and I, I think we, at least when I trained, I think there was something of this fallacy that we told each other that, the only way we could stay in this work was to button it away, right? To lock it away and, and keep moving. And I think yeah. what we're starting to realize is the only way we can keep doing this work is to acknowledge it. Yes, I think so. Yeah. You know, and I don't, you know, we've been telling, you know, what is, like, we tell each other, when we talk to, to each other about these things, we tell stories. Right. right. We tell stories and, and stories are really what hold us together. You know, they hold us together. I, you know, I think the, I'm going to butcher the quote, but, you know, the, the, the wonderful writer, nature writer, Barry Lopez has a quote that often gets put on, you know, on slides about the fact that, you know, that the only thing that's holding us together is stories, you know, stories and compassion. Yeah. Um, and and those stories, I think, need to be need to be recognized, and not only that, but also acknowledging the fact that your story might be different than my story. Like, I don't want to be told, like, yes, this is hard work. This is hard what you do. Um, however, like, just do X, Y, and Z. You know, or this. No, I don't want to be diagnosed. Yeah. You know, I don't want to be put into a category or into a shoebox and say, this is, because that sometimes is even worse. You know, I, I, I feel like, like we want to give answers. Like we want to give answers to people's complicated experiences rather than just honoring them and saying, yes, like what we do is really hard. And I don't think, I think that's what a lot of providers would love to hear from <laughs> leaders who you know about the about their role in the pandemic i don't think we're asking for much you know we're not i mean i think ultimately it's just a respect for the difficulty of working you know wherever you are in the hospital during this time and it was very challenging yeah and you know i think that's that's a lot of how we got to the work that we do is by seeing that it's really it feels very dismissive to people a lot of times when you tell them what they're feeling. Right. And what we kept hearing was that's that I don't have better language for it, but that's not, that isn't my experience. It's not quite right. And we come from a place of curiosity of, yeah. you know, really what's going on here? What is your experience? And listening to folks on the front line and saying, here's what we're putting together. But every place 
is slightly different in in what people feel while they're there. And so there, and so it, it it means that there aren't easy answers. I love what you said about um, you know we don't have this is what I'm feeling we don't have language for it, and wouldn't it be great if the response to that is, you know, we're going to create these spaces where you can tr- where we want you to try to put language to this. Right, because but by trying to put language to it, I mean you have to you have to think about your what you're feeling and what you were experiencing it, and we may never get there. Like we may never, we may, we may sidle up to it. You know, we might come close to it. We might inch up and get, cl- but just the attempt and say, "Can you? We want you to try to put language to this. We want to try to capture because." We don't want it to get away from us. I mean, I think that's part of the challenge is like some of these experiences are really like almost like pain, like physical pain. Yeah. It's hard to articulate, hard to put, to put words to a really sort of difficult experience or a painful experience. And the way it gets away from us is part of why it's, it can be so challenging to understand for others. But wouldn't it be great, you know, and this is, you know, why I, I love, you know, the work that you all do, Wendy, which is, you know, can we create these spaces and have these dialogues where, you know, we want you to try to put language to these experiences, if anything, because it's a way of trying to make sure it doesn't, I don't want it to escape. I don't want yeah. it to go because it's still there. Those feelings are there, you know, and and I and what I feel sometimes when they with these complicated moments and what I and what I'm writing is by trying to put language to an experience, I sometimes feel like I have a way to control the uncontrollable. If anything, <laughs> it sounds strange, yeah. but at least on the page, like I can control how I'm framing this experience on the page. Uh, and I think that's key. I mean, I think. I think what you're doing is you're saying, I'm going to try out a whole bunch of different ways of looking at this problem or at this experience and find a way to make it make sense to me from my own experience, but then also to help other people understand it. And also to find ways that, how many times do we write that we just let ourselves off the hook? Yeah. You know, or we think we go, ah, when we put, when we try to put language to an experience, put words to an experience, we sometimes identify the bullshit when we're bullshitting. <laughs> yeah. You know, we're going, no, 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 right. no, no. You read it, you put it down. You read it and go, oh, I think I can go deeper. That's not exactly what I. Or someone reads it and goes, you know, I, I, <laughs> yeah, somebody you reads know, it and I, says, yeah, no, 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 no. no. <laughs> or even you sit there and you go, this is, sounds so, this sounds so great because it's a certain narrative. You look you look good or you feel like you've gotten there and you go, and you know something in the pit of your stomach, but by getting it out and objectifying it yeah. and putting it on a page, you know, objectifying it only in the sense that you sort of have put it someplace that you can sort of examine it right. outside of yourself. Um, man, you, you sit, you, you can see, you can see into yourself 
in ways that are that might have been very difficult if you're sort of just playing on playing with these ideas like you're juggling ideas in your mind. You know, yeah. you get very specific, you get very granular. Yeah. And especially if you have an editor that comes by and says, Really? Oh God. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, so I I think we could probably continue this conversation for hours because I I we've touched on two stories and there are about twelve more I'd like to talk about. But I really appreciate you coming on and sharing this with us today. And I hope it's the first of a of a lot of conversations that we have. I really hope so, Wendy. It's been a real, it's been so great to to have this time with you, and um, I've been a fan of all the work that that you and Simon and everyone has been doing in this area. I think it's absolutely critical, and um, and I'm just so glad to be a small part of it with this podcast. I appreciate it. Yeah, and I appreciate your work too. Thanks for what Thank you do. You. Thank you. Well, Wendy, thank you so much for speaking with Jay. I think that there are a lot of people who listen to our podcast who can probably relate to some of the things he spoke about. And it's really interesting to hear of somebody with such a um, humanistic approach and such a generosity to share some of his experiences and feelings working in the emergency room. One of the things that that struck me that uh, I think is worth mentioning is the idea of being told how we're feeling or why we're feeling a particular way. And the importance of listening and, and giving a space and opportunity for people to acknowledge their own experience and their own reactions to those experiences, as we've found with many people speaking about their own distress in, in any part of the hospital. Yeah, I, I think every parent knows what, what the reaction is that you get when you tell someone how they're feeling. I mean, kids <laughs> typically explode. <laughs> Adults generally don't do that. But, but it's they still this, feel that way. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's this real dismissive way of looking at who you are as a person. And it is a way of instantly devaluing somebody in their experience. And I think he hit on that incredibly well in some of what, what he was talking about. Yeah, I find it fascinating because when we speak to people, it's often in the context of how they've reacted to a series of experiences or how they experience their work in the hospital. And as we've found out, a lot of people struggle when they're told, well, you know, go and do yoga, <laughs> have this cookie, yeah. whatever panacea or quick fix can be a really alienating way of approaching somebody who has had an experience or feels in a particular way. Yeah. And, and as he said, it only takes a short amount of time to honor the gravity and the weight of what we do. Mm -hmm. This is a hard job, and it's a big job. And as he said, it doesn't matter what role you play in healthcare. It has a huge impact. And I think being able to take a second to honor what we do is so important. You know, I, I just love the comments he made about that, particularly taking that moment at the end of a really traumatic situation and also doing it in the context of the other people at work with you, whether those are people cleaning a room, whether those are trainees you're working with. You know, a lot of us use sort of black humor or 
we get cynical about these things. I, I think that the way he described it is something that, truthfully, I, I don't do enough and I think is an important thing to think about. Yeah, I agree. And, and I also love the fact that he says, we're not asking for much, right? We're asking for the opportunity to try to create spaces where we fumble for the language that's right for us, mm-hmm. that describes our experience. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, when he was talking about patients staying with us and how oh, they change us. Right. Again, I, I don't think there's a single physician listening to this podcast who can't relate to that. I, I remember countless patients. I remember what I was wearing when I was talking to them. I remember what they yeah. were wearing. I remember some of the words people have used. And, you know, the, the reason I think that's a really important point to those people who haven't experienced that or haven't experienced it yet comes back to a, a conversation I had with a journalist a few years ago where a journalist said to me, why do you care so much about this that it hurts you morally when something goes wrong? Why do you feel morally injured by an outcome that is negative? And until somebody had asked me that, it hadn't even occurred to me that that would be a way you could think. It hadn't even occurred to me that these experiences you have could be conceived of not to change you and that you could conceivably not be profoundly affected by them. So I think his explanation of that was very helpful and certainly something that I absolutely identify with. And uh, I tried to explain to this reporter, and I hope I did, that there is something profoundly important about taking care of people, which is very different to some of the other things that we do in life. Yeah. And... As he was talking about that, after our conversation, I started making a list, sort of running through my mind of of the patients who I knew in medical school and training and since then. And it was endless. I don't know that patients understand that as much as we may change them, they change us. Mm -hmm. And we don't leave them behind. And to bring it back to what we always talk about in the area of moral injury, I think that's a key factor in how we respond internally to some of the things that don't go as we would like, or when we can't provide care that we know we should be providing, or when we can't provide care to the quality that we know is what we would like to provide. That's why it hurts us, because you don't forget those moments, and they stay with you. Right. Well, on that um, deep note, I guess we should wrap things up today. Thank you for joining us for Moral Matters. Our producer is Dave Young at Witcher Studios. Our podcast coordinator is Ariel Morton. To learn more about the nonprofit Moral Injury of Healthcare, you can go to our website at fixmoralinjury.org. If you'd like to support future episodes of the podcast or any of the work we do, you can make a donation while you're there. Our Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram links are in the show notes so you can continue the conversation and you can spread the word by sharing episodes with friends and colleagues. And please do that. The more people that get this podcast, the more other people can hear it and find out about it. If you subscribe, rate, and review the show, that makes it easier for other people to find us too. Thanks for listening. And stay well. Stay well.